Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of I Pledge Allegiance. Today I have on Sam Hart. He's lead author of the Adam 2.0 white paper and Cosmos Hub Strategy Lead at the Interchain Foundation. Sam has a ton of experience researching and writing about governance and has spent a lot of time in the Cosmos ecosystem. He's one of the most knowledgeable folks I know in the intersection of Cosmos and governance and has thought extensively about some of the challenges and nuances of building governance proposals and initiatives. The Adam 2.0 white paper was released a little over a month ago and has garnered a lot of attention and is a pretty large initiative to move the hub forward. In today's conversation, we'll be talking about that white paper, but also just Cosmos governance more broadly. I think there's a lot of interesting angles and dynamics in this ecosystem and Sam is very well equipped to speak about the details. So Sam, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. My first question, and to give listeners some context, what's your role within the Cosmos ecosystem? And you also work for the Interchain Foundation. What is that? What is the ICF? The ICF is a Swiss foundation that was set up in conjunction with the Cosmos Hub or Atom fundraiser in 2017. And I joined about three years ago. The kind of circumstances around that are, some may know the original development company, Tenderman Inc., that was kind of working on the Cosmos software, kind of fell apart at one point due to like leadership issues. And the entire engineering team migrated to a fully owned subsidiary of the foundation. So this Interchain GmbH was kind of spun up to house a bunch of people who were working in Berlin. And I was the first hire at this organization. And my kind of mandate was to basically like glue together the Cosmos ecosystem. This is before IBC shipped, which is the primary interoperability protocol. And there was just a lot to do. All of the knowledgeable people within the ecosystem had splintered off into their own organizations. So Jack had started a validator that then became Strangelove. Zaki also had a validator and was doing things at Occlusion. There were some remnants of employees at Tenorman Inc. Informal was started by Ethan Buckman and a number of the original Tenorman employees. There was like 15 different organizations. There was no like roadmap. <laughs> So the only thing that we knew that we needed to do was ship IBC and like get the ecosystem upgraded because that was the final piece to the technology stack. And then after that, it was kind of like, okay, well, we need to get some activity started in the ecosystem. And my role was to get in touch with all the core team, scope work, just like develop a, an overarching strategy, figure out how to pay everybody, hire people that are going to help us ship everything and get interesting, productive applications building in the Cosmos ecosystem. And then the Cosmos Hub was kind of neglected for some time. We weren't working on much around the Cosmos Hub apart from upgrading IBC, upgrading the hub to use IBC. It was the first IBC-enabled chain. But at a certain point, the ecosystem was clear that it was pretty healthy and there was a lot of activity that was kind of like organically sprouting up. And basically, Billy Renekamp, who was my kind of direct colleague and myself, 
were kind of assigned to Cosmos Hub because that became the preeminent thing that needed fixing, essentially. So that was about six months ago. And since then, I kind of started this process of first like writing down every single thing that I was aware of that was like, what what is the Cosmos Hub supposed to be doing? You know, everything from statements in the white paper to like documents that had been released, conversations in various like Slack and Discord channels. And just like compiled all of that into the, like a massive notes document and then proceeded to have like a bunch of conversations with people and structured a process for writing what became this 2.0 paper. One thing you mentioned early on was how Tendermint, one of the founding organization behind the entire ecosystem, there was a lot of drama and the organization splintered into 10, 15, 20 different orgs. And I think that's a really important thing that's had both good and negative effects for the ecosystem. But curious what you think of that. Like, how has that made Cosmos different from other ecosystems with maybe one or two entities that are more centralized? Yeah, it's definitely critical to understand that event to get to where we are. It certainly was like a hugely decentralizing forcing function, but that does make like everything a lot harder. Like you said, it has positives and negatives. I do think Cosmos has the kind of architecture of Cosmos and the initial fundraiser for Atom and all that stuff. I, I think a lot of these things definitely led to just a much more like grassroots community. I mean, it was a open fundraiser. There's like not a lot of VC involvement. And the Atom token, of course, is like not required as a gas token for the entire network to run. So that I think is like kind of attracted builders that want to create their own world in the Cosmos ecosystem. That was just kind of exacerbated by this event where all of these different entities were set up. Once IBC was shipped, it also meant that like several of these the original members of Tenorman Inc., the development company, started their own blockchain. So Osmosis, of course, is Sonny and Dave were Tenorman employees. Evmos is Fede was a Tenorman employee. Celestia has uh, Ishmael, the Cosmos Hub, of course. I mean, it kind of goes on and on. Anoma, there's just a whole bunch of like extremely strong projects that were kind of initiated because there is this like amorphous, loose coupling of people that were coordinating around this essential set of technologies or open source repositories and core architectural primitives. How would you say this has affected the Cosmos ecosystem in terms of development, in terms of roadmap, in terms of coordination? What are the second and third order effects of having so many different organizations, each with their own? thoughts about how the ecosystem should evolve and more importantly each with their own incentive so it's like they're all collaborative but they also may have somewhat diverging interests in some ways so just curious how you think about the broader implications of so many different orgs there is no roadmap for the cosmos ecosystem we kind of had some ideas about what was needed the icf early on and really it was just like some visibility into the networks, you know, block explorers and things like that, 
just initial custody integrations and whatnot, just like nuts and bolts. But beyond that, now that like IDC has been shipped and like there is kind of organic growth in the ecosystem, it's kind of taking on a life of its own. And so the individual software repositories have organizational structures around them that are very multi-party. So Tenorment is, there's a team at Informal, there's a team at Interchain, there's a bunch of other contributors that are working on Tenorment. And we've kind of like more recently set up some kind of basically this council that's giving input into the roadmap. And we're doing similar things with the Cosmos SDK and IBC. But those look a lot more like traditional open source software repositories than a blockchain. There are blockchains built with all these components, and each of those products or applications has its own structure. And you've seen the internals of how Osmosis works. The hub has an interesting structure. We are going to probably talk a lot more about this, but one of the objectives of the Atom 2.0 paper is to really, for the first time, give the hub a clear purpose and define more of an explicit organizational architecture that's intended to push that purpose forward. Diving into the white paper and just like the Atom 2.0 initiative in general, could you talk a little bit about what was the driving motivation behind this? It's a pretty broad effort. It's a pretty lengthy 20 to 30 page paper, received input from so many different teams and individuals. It's a pretty large effort that took many months. So could you talk a bit about just how this came together and how it drove forward? If you look back at the original Cosmos Network white paper, the Cosmos Hub is there. It's mentioned in the paper, but it's really kind of a footnote in a way. It's just like demo application. So, okay, we want this architecture where we're going to be building blockchains and then connecting them with these light client proof protocol. And hypothetically in this network, you might want a node that is able to like route messages, which is a kind of direct analogy to internet networks, like internet exchange points and whatnot. But it was kind of known from the beginning that like we are not totally sure what this network is going to need. If you read between the lines a little bit, the purpose of the hub as laid out in that paper is to be kind of like a helper chain. It's supposed to interact with other chains and do some kind of coordination function or like make things a little bit more efficient, scalable, whatnot. But there's also like a name service mentioned. But beyond that, it was kind of like known by the developers that it's going to be a bit more of like a wait and see process to like understand what the network requires and then build for that. And in the intervening years, while the technology stack was being built out, there were a number of individuals that developed opinions about what the hub should be. So Jaquan, for instance, I kind of attribute the interchain security philosophy, I guess, and purpose to him. He was a strong proponent of hub minimalism and kind of externalizing additional functions onto other chains that were secured by Atom Collateral. Notably, like Sunny Agrawal was a big proponent of that concept as well. And then 
Zaki at one point published a Atom 2021 piece, I think, that mentioned liquid staking, a DEX, and I'm kind of forgetting the last thing, like a custody solution or something. So there's this just kind of this like heterogeneity of ideas that aren't all of them are like fully compatible with one another. And then at one point, a bunch of us were kind of looking at the Olympus DAO mechanism and got pretty interested in that. And just liquidity is like a missing piece in a way in the Cosmos ecosystem. So that seemed like a good, something that the hub could kind of offer because it really is the most liquid token by a large margin. So kind of like lend that liquidity to others. The kind of process of this like synthesis is like, okay, we're going to try to plug some of these things together. And can we get something that is fully coherent here? And there's a couple like design criteria that we wanted to fulfill. So the main one is just this kind of like ideological position that Cosmos has taken of like sovereign interoperability and really like a non-rent seeking philosophy. So we wanted that to be carried through in any proposed renewed purpose for the hub. That was like very core to our thinking like, okay, okay, how do we offer like value added services that don't end up just being like a tax? It's not like a coercive mechanism. Like it should be elective. People should want to use the service. And if you don't want to use it, you don't use it. That's kind of like a firm role that the hub should continue to play. But yeah, offering liquidity which is kind of the main function of this allocator. And then the other piece is the scheduler component, which again is totally elective, but the idea is that there is kind of an opportunity to create an on-chain pooled block space market, and that could actually be more efficient and more lucrative for chains that chose to use it. Got it. So there's been months of work into the Atom 2.0 paper behind all these different parties and it's built off this pretty long, it didn't come out of nowhere. It's built off this long history of other documents, of other perspectives, of the opinions and experience of, of many others in the ecosystem. It must have been quite an experience bringing all these together into one concrete document, into one vision. Could you just walk me through what that looked like on the inside and your tips for others that are working on similar things for other ecosystems? It was a huge headache, but I think everybody kind of recognized the importance of doing this and doing it relatively quickly. And I did have a lot of license to like incorporate things and throw things out and talk to just whoever about different possibilities. So I had some really nice conversations with many, many, many engineers at various different organizations, but there's like 15 different development organizations. Not all of them are working on the hub, but at the very least, Strangelove, Occlusion, Informal, Interchain, all gave like critical feedback as well as community members. I mean, Yusuf kind of came out of nowhere and was like, I just want to help and just started joining the calls. And it was amazing to have him on board. Oh, Haifa as well. So that was just really cool to have completely grassroots community participation and meaningful additions being made by these people. But as far as advice goes, first of all, I'm not sure what we're doing has ever been done. I mean, trying to 
change the purpose of a multi-billion dollar decentralized network is maybe a first of its kind. I mean, I, I'm not aware of anything else that like has that, that's tried to do that. So it would be cool to see other examples of this. I guess my like one word of caution would be like, you're never going to get unanimous agreement. You need to do the best you can and try to take like strong positions weekly held. It seems like we've done relatively well thus far. Definitely. I think creating these documents is all about compromise and you can never satisfy everyone's opinions and there's always going to be pushback and conflict. To dive a bit deeper into the white paper and just the Adam Tupuno initiative as a whole, we could talk at length about all of the major ideas, interchain security, liquid staking, the scheduler, the allocator. If you had to pick just one of them that you would say is the most important or the most critical from a long-term roadmap standpoint, which one would you point to and why? The most important one is Atom. It's turning Atom into this reserve asset. And everything else is in service of that. So the allocator's deployment of Atom and trying to make it really useful to incorporate into DeFi and to collateralize certain deals. The scheduler is a way of generating revenue from the growth of the network and using that product Atom. So I mean, the way it's kind of posed in this paper is that like the scheduler and the allocator create this positive feedback loop that continues to deploy Atom and like continues to grow the Cosmos ecosystem. So just like investing in new projects, getting exposure to new growth, creating Atom liquidity by LPing into various pools, just kind of like getting Atom out there and as a byproduct, just accelerating the growth of the ecosystem by like capitalizing a bunch of new projects. This role, do you see it as like an investment or a venture capital type model in terms of like identifying and investing in startups? Do you look at it as maybe like an accelerator or an ecosystem fund? What's the right mental model to think about the allocator and how to best think about the long-term roadmap? I definitely had a little bit of trouble kind of like boiling this down into something concise because it's like a couple of things at once. On one level, it's this way of creating like collateralized partnership relationships. And this is something that I anticipate we're going to see a lot more of. We've seen a couple of examples. Osmosis and Axelar is a great one. But Atom can be used or this kind of swap mechanism can be used to create mutual stakeholding relationships and kind of cement a partnership or some kind of like mutual service relationship. There is absolutely a component of the hub as a whole, kind of like getting exposure to new Cosmos growth. The idea there being, okay, it's kind of like the focal point for public goods development. Adam funds most of the engineering effort around Tenement, SDK, IBC. So this is kind of a way for the hub to get exposure to the value that's produced there, which it just doesn't automatically get something the public goods development around the EVM is like monetized by you know, more people building on Ethereum. And there needs to be more of this kind of active position that the hub is taking there. 
ultimately the hope is to have the hub kind of be a preferred capital partner for new Cosmos growth. And I would argue, I've thought a lot about the kind of adverse selection you see in ecosystem funds. And that's definitely something that I think we want to avoid. Like we really want to make sure that we are capitalizing and bringing in the brightest minds to create high quality projects. So the hope is that there is a material partnership there that kind of continues post-deployment. It looks a little bit different than an ecosystem fund, which is just kind of like a lot of times the projects that end up kind of being attracted to the ecosystem funds are those that like aren't getting top tier VC capital. But I think this, if you want the hub as a capital partner and it like has a clear kind of purpose post-deployment, now I think that that can potentially really aggregate some of the premier projects. And we've seen that. There's some very, very strong projects that are coming to us and asking if they can collaborate. Totally. With the recent announcement of USDC launching on the hub as a consumer chain, I think is massive. Many others like Neutron and Stride and others in the works. But in terms of, to go back to the white paper, like has published this probably had like a four to five weeks of discussion and back and forth on it. And I think there was, as is the usual for Cosmos proposals, there was a lot of debate and lengthy forum posts. Did you break down like what some of the key conversations were about and whether any changes were done to the final proposal? Yeah, absolutely. We did go around or I went around to a bunch of validators before the release and talked them through it. I think it was a lot to digest at once. We got a little bit of feedback, but there's a lot of like head nodding and, oh yeah, this sounds good. We'll get back to you type things. But I did make a concerted effort to like try to get info from stakeholders beforehand. That said, there was a couple concerns that the paper raised. I that catalyzed us to two revisions, basically. The first was basically around, yeah, if I had to summarize the concerns, basically one is around issuance and one is around the kind of like governance of a substantial treasury that's proposed in the paper. There's two facets of this issuance. There's this kind of initial mint that's proposed and then there's tail issuance. And I can get into this if you like, but basically as a byproduct of the introduction of liquid staking, the capital efficiency goes up and the cost goes down. And so there's an opportunity to change issuance that was proposed in the original draft. I still think it's a good idea, but it's a pretty radical change. And we got a little bit of pushback from some validators. I think rightfully, like they want to see like material progress and new revenues coming in before any change to issuance was made. So yeah, the tail issuance, we kind of like said that we'd kind of hold off on that conversation for the time being and remove that portion. I think we'll kind of revisit it at some point soon. And then the initial issuance, we divide it up into tranches that can be kind of ratified by token holder governance. And that just gives atom holders an additional assurance that there's a degree of fiscal responsibility. You know, they, they can kind of gate the deployment of Atom based on milestones. 
And then the last thing is this newly proposed assembly system. So kind of whole new governance body. And it wasn't so much the creation of that body, but more just like, okay, we kind of want more details about how this thing works. And together with Haifa Co-op, who I've been working with extensively, we released a draft of a charter document, which is something that it's proposed in the paper. And this is supposed to be more of a living document that describes the procedures and the kind of rules of engagement around Cosmos governance. So all those things together, I, I think, addressed really some of the main concerns, which were around fiscal responsibility and effectively the validator business model, which is at present dependent on new issuance. Do you see validators longer term having other sources of income? How do you see their role evolving over time? I think there is a need for new income sources, and this is tightly coupled to the introduction of liquid staking. So my thesis here is that liquid staking is going to happen. There's no stopping liquid staking. In fact, the reason that Binance and Coinbase are the number one and two validators on the Cosmos Hub is because they're effectively offering liquid staking solutions to their customers. And they custody the assets and then like let you trade on the platform with those custodied assets. And then there's a whole new generation of liquid staking technologies that's coming that basically makes it so that stake positions can be kind of imperceptibly turned into liquid staked assets using like cryptographic techniques and whatnot. So it's a really hard problem to address. And the proposed solution here is really to just try to acknowledge its existence and try to make it as kind of auditable as possible and try to make sure that there's a kind of healthy diversity of options. So with the introduction of liquid staking, which as I just mentioned, like is going to happen no matter what, basically that will automatically push the staking ratio up, which according to how the Cosmos SDK staking system works, that will effectively reduce the amount of issuance because issuance is modulated in order to target the two-thirds staking ratio. So validator revenues will go down. Just if we do nothing, validator revenues will go down. And this is actually like one of the kind of motivations of the 2.0 paper is to now try to incorporate a viable business model that will compensate for the increased efficiency of the staking system. Totally makes sense. And to see the proposal go on chain and as of today, early November, it's looking pretty good. Seems like it'll pass. So excited to follow the progress over the coming months and revisit some of the progress and initiatives, such as the allocator and scheduler that you mentioned. Taking a broader step back and just, I think we can spend the rest of this podcast just, I think, chatting more broadly about governance in Cosmos. Inherently, I think a lot of folks have described it as a highly political landscape. You have been sort of as experienced as anyone around these things. What are your thoughts overall? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Would it be helpful for Cosmos to have stronger voices in place? Maybe this having a wide variety of voices is a good thing. Ultimately, where do you pan out on your worldview for Cosmos governance? It's good and bad. 
So there were a couple of things that were kind of baked in from day one with the Cosmos architecture. The first is the delegation system. Cosmos uses delegated proof of stake and validators vote on behalf of their delegates. Delegates can override if they choose. So that's one element. And then of course, it's a layer one architecture that has on-chain governance, which is not something that everyone has. With the thinking that application-specific chains are going to require that kind of in-protocol signaling mechanism. So the delegation system, I think one of the facets there that I've kind of been thinking about a bit recently is that delegation, at least to how it's currently crafted, privileges kind of the loudest voices, sometimes good and sometimes bad. There's a lot of like media entities that have relatively large stake. And there's this kind of amplification effect that happens as a result. Their business model is to kind of like become a branded media entity that's like covering, I don't know, like all the minutia of whatever, basically like the politics of the chain. And they kind of have some incentive to dramatize those politics, not so dissimilar from US politics or a lot of like national politics. And so, yeah, I mean, that's something I would love to see re-equilibrated is like privileging entities that maybe have like a bit more quiet have made like significant contributions to the chain's progress. One aside here, so I was the product lead for the Cosmos SDK governance system for two years. It wasn't like super well resourced. But we made some relatively significant changes in that time. First is the introduction of the groups module, which is coming in the next release. And the second is this kind of generalized message format. So you're basically going to be able to make a governance proposal that can have an arbitrary message as a payload, which should allow chain-to-chain, DAO-to-DAO kind of interactions and a really interesting kind of composable environment. I'm super excited for that. And then also AuthZ was under my watch as well. I've kind of been privy to like the internals of the governance development cycle. There's definitely some decisions that were made that we're kind of now seeing the impacts of, and some of them, I think, accidentally really brilliant, and some of them like we should probably try to work on. I mean, one thing that happened as a result of the Cosmos governance system is Jaquan did this airdrop to parties that voted a certain way on Proposal 69 and the hub, you basically like bribed and swung the vote a certain way, which is kind of insane that that happened. And I think that we should probably try to think a little bit more long-term about things like private voting and mechanisms that are a little bit more resistant or robust to incentives like that that may be perverse. The other thing I worked on that's maybe worth mentioning is I did a whole bunch of work with Haifa on to kind of revive the Cosmos Hub Forum, which actually was not the Cosmos Hub Forum originally. It was just the Cosmos Forum, and it's just kind of had like all kinds of stuff on there. We kind of scoped it down to the Cosmos Hub because the ecosystem had matured sufficiently that it made sense to like consolidate down to hub-related activities. Yeah, and then we've done like a bunch of proposals together. We did this no with veto semantics proposal, which I think is certainly very interesting, and a couple others just to try to like improve the overall working process and health of the governance system. 
Awesome. Yeah, I think continues to be one of the most interesting landscapes in governance broadly. I have a question for you. I mean, I haven't been super active in osmosis governance. I mean, I know osmosis have 10 times the number of proposals that the hub has. And I mean, I imagine that kind of selects for a certain type of entity who's willing to put in the work to do that. But I would be interested to hear a little bit about like how that pace works for you all. How it works. Yeah. Yeah. And if you could, would you change something? It's a good question. I think Osmosis has been around for probably about a year and a half. And there's been over 300 proposals. So that's like almost a proposal every single day, which is certainly a lot. And I think anyone who participates in governance knows that's an unsustainable pace of proposals. I think there's like a small minority maybe let's call it 5 to 10% that are spam proposals and can be easily dismissed. And then let's say another handful that are like critical protocol upgrades or large code changes. And then there's like occasional funding proposals for the Osmosis Grants Program, for the Osmosis Ministry of Marketing and others. But I would say the overall vast majority of proposals are around regular parameter changes. So Osmosis as an AMM, has protocol incentives that it directs to various pools. It allocates them to a certain number of pools, and it also lists certain assets on the front end while not listing others. And right now, all of those decisions are done through governance. Someone has to submit a proposal, submit a deposit, have a week-long voting period, a delay for proposal execution, and then the execution happens. So. I think it's multiple incentive adjustments every single week for every single pool you need to have its individual proposal. And I think there's just a lot of overhead to these proposals. I think validators and users have gotten quite good at reading them and efficient because a lot of these regular parameter updates look the same. It's all using the same template, but even still, the way I think about governance is Every single proposal that goes to a full on-chain vote has an enormous cost in terms of coordination and time and energy, and that must be used sparingly, only for the most critical and high-impact discussions. Having regular proposals for small pools and small changes, like it just I don't think it's a good use of everyone's time. If the downside is low, if the decision can be made easily. So... I think there's a lot of progress that can be made. This isn't something that's unique to Osmosis. A lot of other DeFi protocols have similar things, especially the lending-based ones like Compound and Aave. So yeah, I think over time, I mean, it will get a bit more automated. It will become easier. The incentives piece is like particularly challenging because everybody's like, want to have a say. And so creating like rubrics or on-chain mechanisms like the VE mechanism or whatever ways that you can approach that. But there are parameter changes that could be easily kind of delegated, but something like liquidity mining is going to be very sensitive, I imagine. I would say osmosis governance broadly, pretty interesting case study for protocols because on Ethereum, you have DeFi apps with, with on-chain governance you have L1s 
Ethereum itself, without formal governance and sort of off-chain decision-making, Osmosis started as a DEX. It's, it's an AMM, and that's the core product. But at the same time, there's this, I think, longer-term vision of doing a lot of other things and becoming a platform itself. So I think it'll be an, Osmosis will also be an interesting case study just to see like how all the different stakeholders interact and what ends up taking precedent. Like what ends up being more important in the long run? Is it going to be the user, the traders? Is it going to be the LPs? Is it going to be the stakers and validators? Or is it going to be maybe folks that are building on top of osmosis in some way and their users? I think it'll be an interesting one to follow over time. I mean, that raises an interesting question. If you were going to make any one of those user classes preeminent and really build the business around that, you might take a different strategy to governance proposals, to incentive design, to who you're working with. And if the kind of purpose is evolving and maybe that user class is staying the same or maybe it's changing, how do you see that conversation evolving? Yeah, I mean, I think every stakeholder group will obviously act self-interested. And from a game theory perspective, theoretically, if people are self-interested over the long term, there should be some sort of logical agreement on what is the long-term most positive EV strategy, because that benefits everyone. Obviously, in practice, there's a lot more to it when you're discussing incentives, when you're discussing which users airdrops go to. Like, those are very like tangible, specific things that there's always a lot of debate on. But if you take a step back and look at the state of a product like Osmosis, it only works if there's active interest in using the platform for trading. That might evolve over time, and I expect that will. But crypto has a lot of AMMs out there. And to be clear, AMMs only work because of interested LPs. So they're obviously critical, but there's many DEXs out there that have a lot of liquidity and have like decent products and spreads and UIs, but the volume just isn't there for whatever reason. Maybe they don't list the right assets. Maybe the fees are too high. Like, doesn't matter. The volume just isn't there. The LPs are there, maybe because of the incentives, maybe because of other reasons. But if you don't have traders at the end of the day, like, that's not a sustainable strategy. So I think it's really important for a DEX, for any DeFi product really, to have a brand and a moat in terms of attracting flow, both institutional and retail. If I had to pick one out of that, I would probably say retail. I think institutions will go where retail flow is. That's just the reality. And I think the projects that can do that the best will win. I do think in crypto, the more sophisticated players, the market makers, the large desks, the prop shops, they're more mercenary. Their liquidity is definitely more fluid and more efficient. But if you talk to retail users, Generally speaking, I think they're a bit more loyal to certain ecosystems, a bit more loyal to certain products that they like. And I think there's no correct playbook on how to acquire those users. I think it's very unique for each product, each protocol. But I think at the end of the day, like the core users that will make or break your long-term protocol like are the traders. And that should be the North Star for a protocol like Osmosis. 
And I do think over time that could change, especially as the osmosis roadmap gets more mature. But I think that's my personal view on it for now. Yeah, that's fascinating. Just to analogize this to the Cosmos Hub and Adam a little bit, or I don't know, juxtapose it, I guess. Adam, as we kind of established earlier, like didn't have an explicit purpose to begin with. And so really due to the initial fundraiser and this just long period of Adam being basically a meme token, I mean, still a meme token, that made it a very kind of retail-centric product. And that was just like very an organic thing. I mean, it wasn't like pushed by anyone, but that's part of why the community around Adam exists in the way it does right now. And this proposal to do interchain security, which was, I mean, maybe initiated, that project was initiated, I don't know, a year, a little bit over a year now, like that now changes the target market for the Cosmos Hub into this B2B, you know, chain to chain market, basically the primary customers are other chains. That was an interesting thing to try to incorporate into the new paper because I don't think that mindset has really been like sufficiently communicated and socialized. So there are things that may not be the most kind of satisfying for retail users in the short term, particularly, but they're kind of in service of establishing this new market and entering this new market in an effective way. And I would also say that this is in some ways an aspect of why there have been a lot of debates on Twitter and elsewhere and the Atom 2.0 kind of conversation has been charged in certain ways because this commitment to interchain security, which happened a while ago, I mean, pre 2.0, kind of committed us to, that was like a path dependent choice. And like now that defines a market that we need to address and like build strategy around. So that's been like an interesting journey. Back to an early comment you said about, I think, protocol tokens, meme tokens. I mean, I think that's one of the most, I think, important things to understand when looking at all these L1s and how they evolve. I think every L1 spends time, like regardless of what people say about meme tokens versus utility tokens, the reality is that every single ecosystem spends a lot of time figuring out the best meme. Bitcoin spent a decade I think figuring out the best meme. I don't know if you remember this blog post, but Nick Carter, Nick Carter a few years yeah. back wrote this one called Visions of Bitcoin, talking about how Bitcoin evolved from digital cash to a cheap payments network used by startups, and which led to the whole big block and SegWit debates. Now it's kind of like a censorship resistant gold. Like that is the story value narrative is the really the only one. Pretty much every single other one for Bitcoin has died off. Ethereum, I think, is only just now figuring out the long-term meme. It went from initially a world computer to a decentralized computing platform to, I think, decentralized app store in 2017. Now, I think the value accrual meme is there's still some sentiment around like ETH as money and being used to pay gas fees. But I think the largest meme, at least 
that I see is around the fever and around the direct economic link. So I think, yeah, the Atom Hub is obviously not as old as these other projects and is what, five years old? So it's still pretty relatively early in its life cycle. And I think it's just going through like the L1 hero's journey. It's like the L1 hero journey that every protocol goes through. I wrote an article. So I'm part of this organization, Other Internet, that does long form writing and research consulting on different DeFi projects. And one of the pieces we wrote was called Market Protocol Fit. We actually like cited some of Nick Carter's text. It was kind of like a antithesis of the progressive decentralization thesis. We we're like, okay, like what if that's not how this works? And actually what you do is you just immediately decentralize and just organically incentivize people to like build something, which is a bit contrarian. But it's actually kind of what we're doing with the Cosmos Hub. It's like, okay, we had this somewhat purposeless chain that had like a very wide distribution of tokens and liquid markets and a lot of people that care about it. And so like now we just need to let them kind of self-organize and figure out the purpose of this thing <laughs> and start building it together. And definitely not the suggested path for most projects, but it was quite interesting to actually kind of watch that play out firsthand in the case of the Cosmos Hub. Definitely. I think to break down the discovery path, like I guess finding product market fit for an L1 ecosystem, like there's two things. One is what is the general direction in terms of who are we optimizing for? I think for Solana, they're optimizing for builders and users that want low fee, high throughput transactions, predominantly traders and DEXs. Ethereum, I think, is a little more generalized, but I think catering to a lot of similar use cases, DeFi, NFTs, decentralized app builders. And Cosmos and the hub, I think, has that to figure out. And then, yeah, the second critical component is value capture and creating a useful but practical meme. I think that's probably the more important one long-term, but only matters if there's a utility, if there's a real reason for people to use the platform in the first place. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how both aspects of these evolve going forward for the hub. Prior to this paper, I wrote a blog post with Ethan called Cosmos Hub is a Port City, which is very narratively driven, not technical, but it was our attempt to spark some imagination around the hub. And it ended up being like really useful and it did resonate with a lot of people. And even if it didn't say what the hub should be doing, because it's like all reasoning by analogy, there's like, there's nothing concrete that it's really proposing. It did serve as this kind of nexus where it catalyzed a bunch of conversations and it provided some basic conceptual framework that people could work off of and kind of validate ideas. They're like, okay, well, this kind of gets in that, that same direction. And I do think that the 2.0 paper definitely goes in that direction. Like it serves that meme relatively well. Awesome. Sam, really enjoyed having you on today and hearing your thoughts on the Adam 2.0 paper, but also just, I think the history of Cosmos governance, how these protocols iterate and discover i think their core offering and yeah excited to follow your guys progress over the coming year 
Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you for having me.